listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. What is sin? It's important to understand what sin is because if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be someone who claims to not only have the name of reputation, reputation of Jesus affiliated with you, but a lifestyle that's in keeping with that, you need to know what sin is. So what is sin? What is sin? Sin is any and every attempt to do something or get something in the power of man rather than the power of God. Sin is any attempt to do or get something apart from the power of God, apart from the glory of God. That's sin. It's a simple definition of sin. I'm saving you years of confusion, years of difficulty trying to figure out what sin is and then therefore how to avoid it by giving you a succinct summary definition of what sin is. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 says it this way. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, talking about meat sacrificed to idols in this particular case, but it applies, the principle applies to anything in our lives because the eating is not from faith. Here it is, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's a simple definition of sin. Pretty much helps us understand very quickly what sin is, what it isn't. Another way of saying it is, sin is any and every attempt to do something or get something apart from the power and glory of God. Sin is any and every attempt to do or get something apart from the power and the glory of God. Everything in your life should be done with dependence upon God. If you can't do it with absolute dependence upon God, you're, you're venturing into dangerous territory. If you can't do it, whatever it is that you're doing in your life, for the glory of God, you're in dangerous territory. Get out of it. Get away from it. Sin, simply understood, is doing anything thinking anything, trying to get anything apart from dependence upon God, the power of God, apart from the glory of God. Now it's significant here in Luke chapter 4 as we do part 2 of how do you handle a hot potato. It's such a significant passage of scripture that we need to take at least two times together to look at what Jesus did in regard to handling temptation. If you weren't here the last time we talked about this, or maybe you're listening by podcast to this particular message and you missed the first one, it's time for you to backtrack, listen to the podcast, part one. You need to get that under your belt because we cannot exhaust this key passage of scripture in its entirety in just one session or two sessions. We're just skating on the top of the surface, so to speak. We're just looking at the tip of the iceberg of all the truths that are here. How? Do you handle a hot potato, particularly dealing with temptation? Verse 1, Jesus can teach us a thing or two about handling temptation. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory 
for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Don't you wish there was a period right there? But there isn't. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He departed from him He departed from him until an opportune time. Halt. I didn't say stop. I said halt. H-A-L-T. I'm being deliberate about that. Halt. Whenever you're hungry, you're at risk of being tempted. Whenever you're angry, you're at risk of being tempted and sinning. Whenever you're lonely, you put yourself where you are finding yourself. You find yourself when you're lonely in a place dangerously close to temptation and therefore giving in. When you are fatigued, when you're tired, you're at risk of being tempted and therefore giving in to temptation. H-A-L-T, halt. You'll remember in the Garden of Eden, it all began with a woman named Eve looking at a piece of fruit noticing that it was desirable for food. Now, why would she be looking at this piece of food, this piece of fruit, if she wasn't hungry? She was therefore vulnerable. Another man named Esau, maybe you're familiar with him. Esau comes back from a failed hunting trip without anything. Some of you know what that's like being here in York, Pennsylvania, coming back from a failed hunting trip. Coming back after a long day of hunting and you come back empty-handed, Esau was hungry. He was famished and he sold his entire birthright, his entire inheritance over a bowl, a lentil stew. Whenever you're hungry, you're vulnerable to be tempted. Whenever you're vulnerable against temptation, you could succumb to giving into that temptation and sinning. Anger is another way that we get vulnerable to temptation. We can succumb. And the Bible says in the book of James, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Anger itself is not sin, but what we do when we get angry can be sin. For example, Moses, great example of that. One of the greatest men in all of the Old Testament and all of history. Two times in the Old Testament, once in Exodus, once in the book of Numbers chapter 20, where God has water come out of a rock to give nourishment to the people as they were traveling. The first time God tells Moses, take the staff that I gave you, the rod, strike the rock and water will come out. That was a type or kind of Christ, a type, a picture of Christ, that Jesus was bruised for our iniquity. And what came out of that? The, the overflow of God's grace given to us, the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of all the sins. So the first time Moses is told to strike the rock, Moses obeys and he strikes the rock in the book of Exodus. The second time, the book of Numbers chapter 20, God tells Moses not to strike the rock, but to speak 
to the rock. Moses, in his anger toward the people who were rebelling and being disobedient to God, it had worn on him. He had had enough of these people who did not know what it was like to follow the Lord. Moses disobeyed. In his anger, he strikes the rock. He reverted to what he had done before when God had specifically told him, speak to the rock. Moses, in his anger, gave in to the temptation, strikes the rock when he should have just spoken to the rock, and God tells him, because you disobeyed, you'll never enter the promised land. And Moses was taken up to a high place, and he gets to see the land that he himself would never get to set foot on. He was angry. Whenever you are angry, you are vulnerable to temptation. There's example of it in Scripture. When you are lonely, 2 Samuel Chapter 11, a man of God who had a heart after God. He's the only one in Scripture that it is, that of which it is said he had a heart after God. His name was David, King David, a heart after God. What was David doing in 2 Samuel chapter 11 at the time when kings go off to war? David should have been out there on the battlefield with his warriors. No, but no, where was David? He was on the palace roof, letting his eyes wander. He had become lonely. He had been blessed by God, given many things by the very hand of God, and he had allowed his heart, this man who had a heart for God, he had allowed his heart to wander. And he was lonely, and in his loneliness, he let his eyes wander down to the rooftops below him, and there was a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. David let his eyes wander. His loneliness led to lust. And the rest, as they say, is history. He sinned greatly before the Lord. When you are lonely, you are vulnerable to giving in to temptation. And then fatigue, tiredness. The nation of Israel is a great example, continually falling into temptation, getting, allowing themselves and, or in the process of them, themselves getting tired and fatigued. They were continually rebelling against the Lord. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells the disciples, Jesus knew that the disciples had been fishing an entire night and came up empty-handed. They're tired, they're fatigued, and they say, hey, don't you understand? We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll do it. We'll let the nets down into the deep for a catch. They were on the verge of being tempted to doubt the nature and character of God. Halt. H-A-L-T. In this particular instance, we have Jesus dealing with the first letter. Hunger. 40 days. 40 nights. He's hungry, just as any of us would be after 40 minutes. After all, we live in the United States. Food is abundant, at least at this particular time. Verse 2 of chapter 4 of Luke. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, he went out there. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And notice verse 3, the devil said to him, it's right on the heels of Jesus, spending 40 days and 40 nights depriving himself of what he would have had every right to partake of, food, nourishment. He's at that weak moment, fully human. And what does the enemy do? The devil, the tempter, comes and seizes the moment, knows when the perfect time is to come 
cast a seed or two of doubt about the nature and character of God. If you are the Son of God, hungry one, if you're who you say you are, if that's a right estimation of who you are, take this stone, make it fresh, make it hot, make it bread. I don't want an empty promise that you are who you say you are. Put your money where your mouth is. Prove it. I want proof that you are the Son of God. It's significant that the enemy comes right out of the gate attacking the identity of Jesus. It's significant that this is not just a son of God with a lowercase s. This is the son of God appropriately translated in the English as a capital S because this is the uniquely brought forth one of a kind will be no other son of God. And the devil is saying, really? Is that who you are? Is that who you are, hungry one? Really? Well, just prove it. All I'm asking you is just to put your money where your mouth is. Just prove it. Just show me. Put some evidence here to what you claim. And Jesus answers with the Word of God. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God overflows out of you. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. And guess what comes out of somebody who's filled with the Spirit? Guess what comes out of you when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God wells up within you. The Word of God comes up out of you. And it becomes an important, significant, weapon, a tool in your warfare against the lies of the enemy. Jesus doesn't get into a debate with him. Jesus doesn't get into a discussion with him. Jesus says in verse 4, it is written. Notice the almighty son of God leans on, stands upon the word of God. That's what you will do too when temptation comes. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God will come out of you. It will flow out of you. And in your time of need, in your time of weakness, in the time when the tempter comes to get you to doubt the nature and character of God, prove it. You fell again. You did it again. You can't really be a believer. You can't really be that type of a person. He comes right out of the gate attacking the identity of Jesus Christ and you better believe that if he did that with Jesus himself he's going to do that to you as well. He's going to try to get you to question the identity, the character, the nature, the goodness of God. He did it in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say God lied to you? Interesting that the liar tries to get us to have a distorted, false view of the Father of lights in whom there is no lie. Jesus stands on the word of God quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He doesn't reference the second part there but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because I believe that Jesus knew that the devil was very familiar with Scripture. We're going to see that ourselves in just a moment. The devil knows how to quote Scripture. But he's not ready to go there just yet. 
Verse 5, the devil says, I'm taking the gloves off. Uh, You get the sense from Scripture that the devil, although he's cunning and although he's shrewd, he's not a very patient being. Becomes very impatient with Jesus in verse 5. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. There's this idea of something supernatural happening. A moment of time and all of the kingdoms of the world, regardless of their location, are instantaneously presented before Jesus. Verse 6, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. He just cuts to the chase. Listen, all I'm after is your worship. Just worship me. I will give you kingdom after kingdom, reward after reward, all of the money you could possibly imagine, all of the power you could possibly imagine. Men, you better believe that it's not just money in your life that is a temptation. It is power and prestige and respect. Aretha Franklin sang about it well. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Just worship me. Bow the knee. I'll give it all to you. There's only one problem. Jesus didn't need the offer of a lying, bankrupt banker to tempt him with something that he already had. I mean, what does King of Kings and Lord of Lords mean, after all? Here's the devil thinking that Jesus is going to have spiritual amnesia and forget who he is, forget what's at his disposal. He does the same thing in your life and mine. If you are a child of the living and true God, your sins are washed away. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. God made us alive with Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 says, and seated us with Christ in a position of authority and power. That doesn't change regardless of what you may be struggling with in your life, regardless of what sin you might commit. Your position never changes, but your thinking does. Am I lying now? The devil is throwing a curveball trying to get Jesus off his footing and trying to get Jesus to forget who he was, what he had. And so it's an empty promise that's being provided here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what the Word of God says for you and for me, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. His, God's, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. See, the problem is we have difficulty making a a distinction between our needs and our wants. Oftentimes, we confuse what we want with what we need. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 says very clearly that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you have a pulse and a brainwave and your lungs are functioning and you're cognizant and you're able to think about living a godly life, you have all that you need. You lack nothing. Why do I know that? Because the word of God says that his divine power has given you all that you need for life 
and for godliness. Not some of what you need. I know what it's like to struggle with making a distinction between a need and a want. Janet and I are in the process of looking for a house. And so the debate and the discussion between Janet and I is every husband and wife needs to have healthy discussions. The discussion is, well, we could stretch ourselves financially and have this type of a house. It has everything that we could want. We would want for nothing if we had this house. It would just stretch us financially if we went in the direction of want. But we know what we need. The Apostle Paul said it well, if we had food and clothing, that will be enough. Many people have pierced themselves, the scriptures say, trying to get rich. The book of James talks about that. They've pierced themselves trying to get rich because they haven't been able to draw the line and make the distinction between what they want and what they need. What you want is one thing. What you need is another. God has given you everything if you know Christ is your Savior. Everything right now, already, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Be careful. You don't cloud the line between what you need and what you want. There is a difference. Many people have gotten themselves into a hill of beans, a whole boatload of trouble, because they haven't made a distinction between what they need and what they want. Be careful that your wants don't lead you into temptation, which leads you into giving in to bowing the knee, because the thing that you are indebted to is the thing you will end up worshiping. You will be a slave to whatever it is your life revolves around. Better to be a slave for Christ because you'll be free. Jesus knew that he's listening to the father of lies. Look with me, John chapter 8, verse 39. John chapter 8, verse 39. You always need to consider the source in this area of temptation. You always need to consider the source. Look at here, in John chapter 8, verse 39, they answered him. This is a discussion that Jesus is having with the religious leaders of the Jewish people. They were rejecting him continually, continually opposing Jesus. And Jesus is having a discussion with them and they answered him and they say, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your your father did. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're not understanding this. Jesus is not talking about biology and physiology. He's talking about spiritual heritage. And once again, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me for I came from God and I I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Look at desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no 
truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character or his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, would you believe someone who was a, a liar and the father of lies, that he really has the ability to give Jesus what he's promising Jesus? It's such an empty promise. It's, such, it's like a bankrupt banker trying to tell you, give me your money so I can hold on to it for you, or I'll give you some paper money. I'll give you something that has absolutely no value, but you'll think it has value. And this is the way the enemy deals with us in regard to temptation. He wants us to think that it's something significant. He wants us to believe a lie as the father of lies, that if we take what he has to offer, we will be, will be fulfilled and we will be satisfied. Find me one person who took the bait of Satan and later on found themselves satisfied and fulfilled and comforted and at peace. There's nothing that the devil is offering Jesus that Jesus doesn't already have. In fact, look with me at the book of Job, chapter 1. The book of Job, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, notice lowercase s, making the distinction again, as opposed to Jesus, the uniquely brought forth, born of a virgin, one of a kind, son of God. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Gives us some instruction into the activity of Satan, where he is active. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? And it's not a shrubbery, by the way. It's not that type of a hedge. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> have you not put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Again, we see something similar in Job chapter two. You can look there on your own in Job chapter two, where we recognize very clearly that the devil does not have anything unless God gives it to him first. He is not the polar opposite of God the Father. He is not, as the Mormons believe, the brother of Lucifer, the devil. Jesus is not the brother of the devil. It's not yin and yang, opposites. The devil only has those things which God the Father allows him to have for the purpose of the sovereign plan of God. At the end of the book of Job, where you get to see that although Job had heard of him as a result of all his difficulties and hardships and Job maintaining his worship of God. See, Job's situation was similar to what Jesus was facing. It's all a worship issue. At the end of it, in the book of Job, Job says, although my, uh, my ears had heard of him. Now my eyes have seen him. Do you not realize that nothing has changed in thousands of years? 
the objective of the enemy is the same, to get you to bow the knee, to get you to give up your heart from pure, sincere devotion to Christ. He will stop at nothing. He didn't throw, he threw everything at Jesus. He stopped at nothing in approaching the almighty, one-of-a-kind son of God and tempting him. You don't think he's going to tempt you? He's a master at throwing everything, including the kitchen sink. And it's all about worship. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's all about worship. Jesus, in this second round here, does the perfect example for you and for me. The Word of God speaks the word of God. Again, he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. To this, we get a sense of frustration on the part of the devil and maybe a smirk on his face. And that what does he do? He quotes scripture. He realizes, oh, I can, I can do that. I can quote some scripture. And he pulls out of his hat, Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. It's convenient how the devil does this because he forgets the verses before and the verses after, which would have shot him in his own foot. He quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. In other words, Jesus, you don't have to worry about any harm coming to you. The word of God that you're very familiar with talks about the protection of God. And this is what people do in the prosperity gospel, for example. They will quote portions of Scripture to suit their cause and neglect the other portions of Scripture that talk about God giving us everything we need for life and godliness, that if we have food and clothing, that is enough. They'll forget that passage in James about many people eager to become rich have pursued financial gain and pierced themselves with many woes. And so what the devil does here is he quotes scripture that would be convenient for Jesus as a protective matter. And anybody who's filled with the spirit of God knows that it's always important and absolutely imperative that you preach, teach, understand, quote, the full counsel of God. Because Psalm 91 verse 9 says this. Psalm 91 verse 9 says this. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. That's the promise here, that no harm will befall you, no difficulty will befall you. Of course, the devil doesn't want to remind Jesus about having his Father as his refuge, and he certainly doesn't want to bring Jesus to verse 13, which says this, Psalm 91, verse 13. There's no way that he wants to bring Jesus to Psalm 91, verse 13, which says this, you will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. There's no way this one who appears to Eve in the garden as a serpent wants to remind Jesus of the full counsel of God. So what does he do? He pulls out a particular passage of Scripture that might appeal to Jesus in his weakness, in his time of temptation, after 40 days and 40 nights of no food. He thinks maybe he can pull a particular passage of Scripture and get Jesus diverted from the real issue. 
distract Jesus, smoke and mirrors, to make Jesus look at something in a way that he would forget. He underestimated who he was dealing with because Jesus is not only the victorious son of God, but he's characterized by something. He's characterized by a particular personality trait. Not just a personality trait, a particular trait of godliness. When you are godly, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, something happens to you. Something is characteristic about the way you operate. What is it? I'm going to tell you in a second. But first I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, beginning in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Notice capital S again, appropriately, uniquely brought forth, one of a kind. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. How many respects has Jesus been tempted? Every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil in every single way. Think of your most bizarre sexual temptation. Jesus faced it. We only get a glimpse of three. We only get a glimpse of how consistent Jesus is by always using the Word of God. The Word of God, the Word became flesh in John chapter 1, using the Word of God to combat in the midst of His weakness and His midst of His difficulties. You can take something away from that. As you're filled with the Spirit of God, the Word of God will flow out from you into whatever circumstance you're facing. Jesus was tempted in every way. Financially, we got the glimpse here, being tempted with all the temptations of the world, all the riches of the world, prestige, power, authority. You can have it all. Jesus understood that it is a worship issue. He will only bow his knee to the Father. You better believe that the enemy is a master at twisting Scripture Telling half-truths because to tell a half-truth about who you are and who God is is to tell a whole lie. That's why it's not enough to say that Jesus was a good man and a prophet. It's telling half the picture. It's not enough to say that he was fully God and fully God but not a man. That's not the full picture. He was fully God and fully human. To take our sin as a one-for-one sacrifice The fact that Jesus was tempted in every single way. None of us is going to be able to say to the Lord, but you just don't understand. You just don't get it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us some insight to this whole issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look with me in our Father's Word. says this. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And you know what the way of escape is? It has to deal with this characteristic of the man, the woman, 
who is filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God is overflowing out of you. You will be characterized by something that the devil underestimated in Jesus. I think, in fact, he's so deceived, so perverted in his nature, in his essence, being in a fixed state of fallenness, the father of lies. He speaks his native language. He can't help but tell half-truths, whole lies. That's what he always does. He's so deluded. He underestimated the true identity of Jesus Christ, even though he knew him before he was born through Mary. Jesus preexisted his human birth, The Son of God was around before his human birth. The devil underestimated that he was dealing with the epitome of humility. The absolute, unadulterated, pure essence of humility. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, speaking of the Father, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, made himself nothing. It was a choice that the Son made, just like it's a choice that you make and that I make. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The devil underestimated the reality that he was dealing with the epitome of humility. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God comes out of you, you will be a person characterized by humility. Humility. Jesus has in himself the greatest of all the weapons of warfare in overcoming the temptations of the enemy The attacks of the enemy, it is humility, agreeing with his father about the truth. He needed no man's testimony. He certainly didn't need the testimony of it, Satan. He only needed the testimony of his father, was secure in his identity, and was confident that he would not bow his knee to anyone or anything regardless of where he was at so that you and I today can be beneficiaries of Jesus, not once in mind or in action ever trying to do anything in any power other than the power of the Spirit for any glory other than the glory of God. We can have confidence to live a life for the glory of God knowing that Jesus, though he was tempted in every way, never gave in. And if humility is such a significant, potent weapon in the arsenal of spiritual warfare for Jesus, if it's so invincible that no weapon formed against this humble Son of God could prevail, if that's true of Jesus, then it can be true of you and of me as his followers. been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast. 
where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm-hmm.